everybody. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Transatlantic Rebels podcast. My name is Jessel and my co-host is Rashad. This week, we are going to be covering one of Rashad's favourite artists. Her name is Joni Mitchell. So, Rashad, what are the three albums that you selected? Uh, one album is called Court and Spark. The other al- next album is uh, The Hissing of the Summer Lawns. And the last one is Hajira. Okay, so now, when did your love affair with Joni Mitchell start? I assume that's not like an actual love affair, uh, but I don't know. Maybe you did. Like, yeah, actually, um, it was actually two years ago on Twitter. Um, there's this writer named Adam Barkin. And he's a he's like a, a Canadian writer. He writes TV shows in um, in Canada. So um, I chat with him once in a while. Like we were we were we were both Lost fans. So we were like watching Lost, and then all of a sudden we started being cool. So um, he kept talking about her this and that, calling her the mad poet and this and that. And um, I was like, really? Blah blah like that. So I heard the same night. So I I went on Spotify and I found like a, a couple of um of playlists of hers, and I sat down and laid down to it and listened to it, and I was like, holy shit. Um, I do know like because like my 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 information about her was limited because basically like in America at least like she was known as like the the prototypical like like the the folk singer, but then when I started playing the stuff that he was telling me to play, it was like she did so much more than um than folk music. Like, she did folk music for like maybe like her first four albums, then like for a couple of albums she did kind of like pop, and then she kind of went like experimental jazz, and then jazz, and then in the eighties she did eighty stuff, and then later on she went to do um interpretational music and then later on she did her last album which is kind of like a little bit like progressive so she wasn't just like that that um that the the, the blonde girl that sings like those give piece, piece of chance kind of songs like she actually had like texture and structure to her lyrics and they were complicated lyrics and they were like poetic lyricry so then basically like after I heard that playlist I basically like bought all her CDs like in one weekend and I just put them all on the playlist and I just hit spin and then, like, I was telling him, I think I, I did a tweet where I was like, if I would have played her when I was in college, I think I'd be 50% a better writer just by the, the writing. Like, I'm not easily impressed by lyrics, but, like, to, for me personally, I feel like she's one of the top lyricists ever, pretty much. Just for consistency on the body of work and subject matter and just, like, her understanding of, like, because I'm a, because I, because I, English teacher. And, uh, and like I have appreciation like Shakespeare and stuff like that and like some of the songs especially on the Hajira album like she's writing like like Homer level like epic poems and stuff like that so uh, that's impressive to me so that's where it started like a couple years ago well and um, I mean I have to admit that I'm not uh, I'm not a huge Joni Mitchell fan in terms of you know I, I like her in a very sort of circumspect way but I've never really sat down and listened to too many of her albums or anything like that so this is this is kind of definitely a kind of Rashad will be leading this podcast one, and I'll sort of be chipping in with my newbie impressions of her, basically. Um, I've definitely enjoyed, like, the last few weeks listening to these three albums, um, and I've definitely got a favourite out of the three of them, so we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, so, should we kick it off with Chords and Spark, then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for me, this was, like, 
it, it was almost like a starting point um, because uh, obviously I, I didn't know like all of her previous albums and stuff. I knew a few of the songs, but this was quite a, it felt like a fully formed debut um, where there are some catchy songs and it's quite lush and it's great to leave on, on in the background on like a nice system. Um, lyrically, it was clearly, you know, uh, quite a few levels above like what, what you'd expect of uh, like your average singer. Um, musically, I, I think it, I'm going to be honest, I don't think it was really my kind of style like to a T musically. There are certain songs on there which I was like, yeah, but but it, it, there was a bit too much sparsity at times um, in terms of the arrangements and stuff like that. But I think when you take it as a whole, you know, when you're mis- mixing in the vocals and the lyrics and the music and the production and everything, then it definitely worked. And it's one of those ones that okay, melodies just keep popping into my head now, actually. It's really funny. Like, I stopped listening to it in order to listen to the other two. But it's the ones from Court and Spot that keep kind of popping into my head, really. Um, it, it's almost like a... I don't know. I think it's kind of like quite a pop album, to be honest. Um, oh, yeah. Basically, because... Um, yeah, because I would say, like... Like, like she does... Like, she does, like, like, like sparse, like, concept albums. And basically, like, it goes, like, the, the Court and Spark situation where it's, like... Because her last couple of albums, especially the quote-unquote the one the most say are blue, is, like, her confessional one. And this is the one where it's kind of, like, she's, like, in love, in love. But even though she has, like, that... Those lush arrangements, like, if you really look at the lyrics, like, there... She is, she is kind of questioning kind of like that... That um, that whole like lush love thing. Even though she kind of has that feeling, it's like just something in the back of her head where it's like this stuff can kind of go to shit in a sense. Even though it sounds like it's lovely and this and that, but if you take a closer look at the lyrics, basically, mm. it's kind of like that thing where it's like it's it's, it's rolling. It's kind of like rolling on and rolling on and rolling on. Even in the song with the the song "Help Me," because uh, she says in the lyrics, "Um, help me, I think I'm falling in love too fast." It's got me hoping for the future and worrying about the past because I've seen some hot, hot blazes come down to smoke and ash. We love our loving, but not like we love our freedom, basically. Because in the sense of like, okay, you, you you have that thing when you first fall in love and you have like that that magical feeling. But it's always something in the back of your head where it's like, I've gotten involved with people before. Like I say, I'm, I'm speaking for her. It's like she's saying, I, I fell in love before, but it's kind of like, but my experience with people is like, okay, people like that feeling as long as it keeps going. But the moment that they don't like that thing, then they're out the door. Basically, and if you listen to and if you listen to like the, the texture of a song, it's like hell. Like she's basically like sounding like really happy, but if you take a close look at those lyrics, she's kind of like questioning and fit, feeling like it's okay for now, but I'm pretty sure the shit might hit the fan later on. Yeah, uh, I think help help me is the one that I keep coming back to, to be honest. Um, and mm-hmm. also Free Man in Paris. I know those are kind of like more singly single kind of things, but oh yeah, those are the big singles on his album. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it's a, it's a pretty short album. You know, most of the album, most of the songs are kind of like. Under, under sort of four minutes long and stuff like that. There's only, I think there's only one yeah. that goes over that. And um, down, down to you is the down long to one with, you, the, with, yeah. the middle, with the middle one. With the middle one, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see why this because it's his. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, I don't know all her other albums, but out of the three, I can see why this is her top selling one because it's it's yeah. just very accessible, you know, and yeah. um, it, it, it's easy to identify with certain parts of it. Um, I- I'll say that, yeah, because that's the thing with her, because she's never been a really, like, a singles person for the most part. Like, she had her hits, like, when, she's, she, when she wrote earlier, she basically wrote for other people, and then, like, that kind of thing, because with her, it's like, her, her lyrics, you actually have to look at them, in a sense, like, just like you said, this one's, the, like, the poppy one, and then the other two later on are a little bit more difficult, because the last two kind of, like, fell out of favor, because people who listen to this one and, like, the other ones... 
that were more poppy, it kind of like they kind of like fell off of that. They still wanted the court spark feel as compared to like more experimental stuff in a sense. And the thing with her lyrics basically are um, they're a little bit more poetic than your normal your normal like singer in this level. It's kind of like more straightforward in a sense. Where hers is more like she has an understanding of like that that uh, playing with words in a sense like there. Like even with the free man in Paris like like chorus. Like what like the basically chorus is like the rumor of it goes on Free Man in Paris is basically like she's writing about David Geffen. If you guys don't know who David Geffen is, he's like a very popular producer, successful producer, had his own label for a little bit. And um, she's basically right for the perspective of him where he's like, he needs to take a, a trip somewhere else. Because what Joni Mitchell does is she basically takes a character in most of her songs and she writes from the perspective of that character. So she's very much a storyteller, which goes even more so into her next album, where the chorus, the, the chorus of Free Man in Paris goes, I was a free man in Paris. I felt unfettered and alive. There was nobody calling me up for favors and no one's future to decide. You know, I go back there tomorrow, but for the work I've taken on, stoking the star maker machinery behind a popular song. And like, to me, I'm like, okay, she's basically singing from the perspective of a music producer. And how many of those people who sung like that in that tone actually had a story about a record producer's point of view? You know what I'm trying to say? It's like such a specific character. And the whole entire thing with that line, my favorite, like, like it's an incredible line of stoking the star maker machinery behind a popular song with the alliteration and it just gets so pointed about that situation like what his job is it's like that 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 clinical way of selling the album it's not just about people listening to the radio and going okay we discovered this it's like he's the guy that makes sure that that gets to the, get to your ears rather than you quote unquote discovering yourself you know I'm trying to say yeah yeah and I think if I can make a kind of wider point about Joni Mitchell is that if you're talking about the storytelling and then if you're talking about the way that people listened to music back then as well, it, it very much is a kind of throwback for me to the kind of early days of great rap, um, especially in the 90s when it was densely lyrical. Because like I tried listening to this um, in multiple ways, like through my sort of crappy headphones on my car, in my car, um, just through my phone and stuff like that. And then none of it really clicked until I just put it on my actual nice system. And suddenly I was like, yes, okay, this is what oh, we're yeah. supposed to do. You know, I completely forgot, you know, that everyone used to listen back on vinyl effectively back then and stuff like that. And also in the actual vinyl itself, you'd have huge liner notes with all the lyrics. And this, Joni is definitely that kind of artist <laughs> where you would read the lyrics. You, you would need that liner sheet, you know, with all the, all the words, everything out there, just so you could figure out what the hell is going on. It's it's kind of like you know with with a Nas album or something like that you know you don't need that with Drake but you need that with Nas and the modern day equivalent is like you know Genius dot com or whatever but but before we used to use liner notes you know <laughs> so yeah yeah and, yeah. and with Joni it's definitely that kind of thing you, you do need a bit of help sometimes and not just repeat yeah. listens you know um, so yeah it, it, it's very fascinating. But I think definitely for me, the next couple of albums were kind of more my cup of tea. But then I've got the benefit yeah. of you know, having having that bit of perspective about it. Um, it's, it's a warm to how, how our lyrics were. Just got gotcha. such a huge career and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so um, can you? Get, I'm going to ask you. We used to do this thing where your top three songs. So yeah. I guess "Help Me" and "Free Man in Paris" are uh, are two of them. Those are definitely. Um, and what? And you have a. Th- I was probably. I was probably going to say Raised on Robbery. Okay. Um, it's either that or Just Like This Train. Um, okay. Just because gotcha. it's a bit musically different. I think Just Like This Train I'd probably go for. Um, how about you? Okay, I get you. All right, so um, Free Man in Paris is is, uh, is one because that song is so damn catchy. It's ridiculously catchy. 
Um, uh, Trouble Child. I like that one because it kind of has like that 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 super fly dun 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 that kind of thing right there. Um, I like the lyrics of it where she goes. Um, she's talking about the guy she's interested in, but he's basically like a trouble child. So I kind of got like some lyrics right here to throw out because I I think that's the strongest thing. She goes, so why does it come as such a shock to know you really have no one? Only a river of change of faces looking for an ocean. They trickle through your leaky plans, another dream over the dam. And you're lying in some room, feeling like your right to be human is going over too. Well, some are going to knock you and some will try to clock you. You know it's really hard to talk sense to you, troubled child, breaking through the waves like Malibu. Where it's kind of like that frustration of being boxed in. In that sense, you're a person that's kind of like that, the quote unquote, like you're the one that's kind of like on that deep end where it's kind of like you don't like to stay inside that box or that quote unquote normalcy kind of thing right there. And you're struggling, but you're being constrained in a sense, but that's, that's kind of breaking you. I kind of related to that in a sense right there. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, um, it's kind of hard. Like sometimes I read people who analyze Johnny Ritual lyrics and like sometimes like you can, you can get the general gist of it, but she, she's, she's specific, but she's also like, um, it's dense, but specific at the same time, if that makes any sense. I don't know if you, if you felt that way. Like, how do you feel about her lyrics over in this album overall? How do you feel about that? On this album, less so, but yeah. certainly on the next couple, I think it's so multi-layered. It's like, you can, you can read certain things into it. It can make you feel a certain way. Or you can tack down on the absolute specifics of it and think, okay, this is definitely about this. It, it, it's okay. really kind of, you know, it, it glitters like a diamond. <laughs> it just depends which way you look at it. <laughs> gotcha. So I think she, yeah, clearly she's just like a top level lyricist. There's just no doubt about yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. the, there are certain other things that don't chime with me quite as well, but that's just purely from a personal perspective of, of certain things I like within music. But in terms of if you're talking lyrically, it's like, yeah, wow, you know. Um, okay gotcha but yeah it's interesting you said the singles thing that she's not really been a a singles artist um and like i mean what help me is like a biggest single isn't it really yeah but as compared to but as compared to like like you know how like you know how like like now you can still have those old school guys like you just know there are things like she's kind of been relegated to like the background and set like for example me and my friends went to a, a, a um uh, not Rage Against the Machine, what was it? Prophets of Rage concert. And I was talking to him and my uh, and his brother. And like my friend, they know Joni, they know of Joni Mitchell, but they have no clue about what she actually sings. You know what I'm saying? Like they maybe know, like they'll maybe know like the um, Big Yellow Taxi Cab because yeah. like, Crown Crows did that back in the day. But as far as like um, like um, like stuff like if you, if you if you walk down the street and you ask somebody, "Have you heard Free Man in Paris?" How many people do you think will actually know what that song is? Um, I I don't think many people would at all. That that's what I'm talking about. Like you know how like the Beatles have their the songs that that's quote unquote majority of people do know. Like, if you throw it out there, you maybe get like you got ten people. Maybe I mean maybe because it's a distance now, but maybe at least three or four of them would know what you're talking about. Like if you threw it out there as compared to if somebody asked if you ask somebody about a Johnny Mitchell hit, maybe they know Big Yellow Taxi Cab, but would they really know anything else at this point right here? No, I, I think Big Yellow Taxi is pretty much where it, it sort of begins and ends if you talk about singles. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, do you know what? Uh, both sides now, they might do. Because... Oh, yeah. Um, of that movie? Yeah, Love Actually. Yeah. Yeah, and Love Actually, it plays a really prominent role. And, and that album, Gifted, is a, a, like an essential piece of the jigsaw. Um, so that got a lot of spins uh, both sides now. And I think, I think actually, there's some sort of re-release of hers that just went to, like, top of the charts or something but uh, I don't know like she's always had a huge following here but 
Yeah. Like the, the numbers kind of would, you'd think, okay, you wouldn't really think, okay, she's had like a big following here, to be honest. Um, yeah. But then numbers, think, numbers don't tell the whole story about things, do they? You know? I think the big thing with her is this, like she's one of those, she's one of those artists, like she influenced probably your favorite, like, like she's one of them artists where most likely she influenced your favorite artists in a yeah. sense. Like she influenced Prince, she influenced Bjork. She influenced the Jacksons. Like, she pretty much, like, like she's, like, one of those standards where it's, like, she's a musician, like, artist-artist, rather than, like, um, like, don't get me wrong, she has a following as far as her fans, but it's not, like, like, you know how Bob Dylan gets lionized or Bruce Springsteen gets lionized or U2 gets lionized, stuff like that. It's, like, her, she's, like, that one where it's, like, um, she always she always kind of complained about it. She was, like, me and Dylan basically came out at the same time, and I, and she's, like, I think my, my level of creativity is to him, but... I've always been pushed aside in the sense that he's been lionized. And she always has, and she always comes across on the defensive as she got older in a sense. Like she's like, it's like my, my work is, my work is still good. Like I think, I still think I'm good, but I just feel like it's okay. It's going back to what we're talking about Madonna. It's like basically the older she got, they were kind of like, they put her in two, like two different categories in a sense. Like she had her, her sixties and her seventies stuff. And she had her eighties to her nineties stuff. And people pretty much wrote her off after her seventies stuff. But then there's been like a reappraisal of her of her, of her later stuff. But they wanted to box her in into that, and then even even within that 60s to 70s kind of situation, they still want to box her into that folk singer situation, which I think is unfair because I think the next two albums we're going to talk about are are incredible. But it's, and like she goes beyond the folk singing thing, like she actually developed herself with almost every album in a sense. Like you could see the progression going on, and she adapted herself to that era, but she still kept the consistency of her creativity. I think I, I think if I was if I was to argue anybody who didn't listen to her, I would say the biggest defense I would say about her is that she didn't maintain her creative integrity and didn't do things just for the sake of like making a hit. I would say so. It's like the stuff that she sounds like in her in her in her folk era doesn't sound like anything like the next two albums we're going to talk about. So I don't know if you want to start that one up. Yeah, I mean, if we go into the next one, um, so <laughs> which is um, is that right to go into the next one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm gonna do an overview at the end. Yeah, oh, okay, do an overview at the end. But okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, the hissing of summer lawns. <laughs> <laughs> this is. A let me ask you a question. Let me go, go, go. let me ask you a question first before you start. When you saw that title, before you listened to it, what what what, what, what went through your head when you saw that title? Did you even think about the title? Yeah, I, I was kind of like, okay, what's going on? I bet this is something really sarcastic, basically. And then <laughs> once I delved into it, I was like, yeah, I think I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Courts and Spark is such a weird title name. It's, it doesn't flow off. It doesn't roll off the tongue particularly well. Um, but okay. it, but it kind of it, it describes the album incredibly well. You know, it's court yes. as in courting someone and spark because mm-hmm. spark between you. You know, um, whereas this this was hilarious. The hissing of the summer lawn. So I was like, Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. So what what are your thoughts on this one? Okay. I know when I, so, so, okay, so getting back to when I started listening to all this stuff, like, this is the one that didn't grab me right away, like, I, I knew it was, like, I played it all the way through, and I was like, okay, I was like, in my mind, and my brain, I already knew, I was like, this is going to be one that you're going to give some, like, some quality time to, yeah. because Court and Spark is, even though the lyrics are dense, the, the sounds are immediate, yeah. like, yeah. up to, up until this, uh, up until this point with Joni Mitchell, even with her folk stuff, even though the, the lyrics are complicated and the music is strong, it's like, it's, it's, she still had an understanding of, like, like traditional structures of this and that, even though like her guitar playing stuff like that, it's not her stuff is not it's real okay compared to what this album is. Any other artist that 
and it, Court and Spark is a is a is a complex album musically. If you want, if, like like it, it's a work of an artist who knows what the fuck they're doing. You know what I'm trying to say? It's not it's not lazy. Put it that way. But when you put it against this one and how many different sounds and different focuses she had and the way she played with certain feelings stuff like that, it's incredible. And the funny thing about it is. For a long period of time with Joni Mitchell, from the 60s to the 70s, she made an album almost every year. It was like every year she was making an album. It was maybe one year, maybe she like took a break. And But it's crazy how she made an album every year. And you, and, a, and a jump from Court and Spark to this album, we're going to do Radiohead later. But I almost feel like, for argument's sake, it's almost like, and I'm not saying that the tones are, are, are big, but it's almost like from the bends to OK Computer. It's like almost like this big giant, like, Leap in like in like texture and sound. I'm like what the like? How does somebody go from Court and Spark to this one? You know what I'm trying to say? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense because last year, uh, around this time last year, actually, I started revisiting all the Stevie Wonder albums. Actually, do you know what? it's not even revisiting? I'd always kind of relied on his greatest hits, this double CD. Yeah, and um, and I, I kind of messed it up because I started I started off with songs in the key of life and then went backwards through. He yeah. went on this crazy run. Um, <laughs> Like those five albums in particular, like preceding it, and um, and it, this kind of reminded me of that. The jump up from court, uh, court and spot to this, I was like, wow. And then to the next one, although I don't want to spoil. <laughs> it, but, uh, yeah. uh, so we talk about that one a bit. I know we're going to do that. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the one, the one kind of frustrating thing I found about the way that we're doing this is because you were like, kind of like a month ago. Okay, here are the three albums. Um, bang, bang, bang. Now, court and spark, as you said, a very immediate one. So that was easy. I got that, you know, really quickly. Um, and then Hedra, I was kind of like, that's the one that really grabbed my interest at the expense of this one. And this one, I okay. knew I was kind of like, shit, I just, I wish I had more time to commit to this one because I think, I think that this might be the one that is actually the most me. Um, so, so I only got to listen to it like about maybe three or four times and that just didn't feel like enough. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like when we stop this and I start listening, for, you know, just off my own accord, um, this will be the one that I'll come back to initially um, because because it, it was a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, but but one that, I, you know, I think that I gained the most enjoyment out of, actually. Um, that's my gut instinct, anyway. Let me ask you a question before we, before we, before we get into this. So jumping ahead, like, a little bit to the, the last one. Okay. Do you, do you think, do you think, okay, between Court and Spark and Hits in the Summer Lawns, do you think that she re- like with the, with the next one? Do you think, in a sense, like she refined the experimental one of this one and the discipline of the last one into Hajira? Do you feel like those led to that last one, in a sense? Do you feel like? Do you feel like, or do you think it's a different thing? Or do you think she, re- or do you think she took a step back from his and some along as far as the creativity? I I think on this she's a bit more disciplined on the on some okay. lawns, and I think on on Hedra, it. It's almost pure creativity and authenticity to me. Oh, so you, so you, so you, so you, so you think that Hedera is more, more, more creatively complex than this one? You would say? Maybe not musically, but in every other respect, yeah. Okay, that's, so that's, that's, that that's that kind of what I got in terms of. But again, this is the thing: is that if I had like a, you know, a good month with just each album, then I might. Yeah. Well, okay, I wouldn't need it with Court and Spot, but but certainly with with Hissing Lawn, Hissing as someone and. Um, Hedra, yeah, yeah. Then, then it's kind of like it's a difficult one, but 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 the third one grabbed me immediately, and then I was kind of like, wow, it was really intriguing. Whereas this (laughs) this one, I think musically, it grabbed me, um, but I don't know. I can't. 
I'm trying to equate it to another kind of series of albums. Like I know what you're saying about the Radiohead one, but it doesn't quite feel equal. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know. It's it's a, it's definitely night and day from from Court and Spark, without a doubt. Though. All right. How about this? How about how about a little game with you? Okay. Give me three adjectives for this album. Uh, okay. Um, that's a tough one. Three that's hard, isn't it? It's hard, it, isn't it? It is because I, I can kind of get the feelings, but it's just trying to. All right, let's get let's like, get into it. Let's get like like say, into it. say for example when when something like the jungle line kicks in, then um, then I was like, okay, there's something really different going on. This this is her kind of like pooling pooling in kind of more globalism kind of thing, I guess. All right, so here let's put run a tip back. So you hear on the beginning of it, it's, it's a France to kiss on Main Street, right? So what was your first impression of that song? Um, immediately it kind of brought me back to the whole Paris thing from the first one, but then okay. it, I was like, wow, this is completely different. This is not this is not kind of like the sort of sugary caught and spark type of thing. This is not a pop. Can I read the lyrics real quick. Yeah. Okay. So um, so, so this is what Jess was talking about because it's not pop. So she kind of like she kind of like telling the story of like how that era basically because. I'll set up the uh, what the overall theme of Sisters and Belongs is. Basically, it's like if 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 you understand America suburbs, it's kind of like the Hissing and Summer Belongs is basically that sound that those uh, sprinklers make on the lawns of America. Of America, and basically, like most of the songs on there is like a compare and contrast between like the suburban life of women in suburbs and like kind of like longing for like that kind of escapism. Meanwhile, she's kind of like talking about that whole like culture of like the Bohemians. And the people like in the cities, so it's kind of like that dichotomy of like there's women who are in the cities and kind of like free and running through, and then you got those. This is like this is like simplifying it ridiculously. I know I am, but and it's also kind of going back to those women who kind of live in that suburban lifestyle and want to cut free. So like some of the lyrics on in France, they kiss on Main Street. She says, um, "Downtown, my doll in Dime Thor Street, in the War of Independence, rock and roll rang sweet as victory under neon signs. A girl was in bloom, and a woman was fading in a suburban room." I said, take me to the dance. Do you want to dance? I love to dance. And I told him, they don't take chances. They seem so removed from romance. They've been broken in churches and schools and molded to the middle class circumstance. And we were rolling, rolling, rocking, rolling. Kind of sense like that. So it's kind of like the, it's like, it's like a bit more specific than Court and Spark. Court and Spark, I think, is like basically the, the feeling of love. And this one's a bit more specific about the women who are out there in like the cities as compared to the women who are in a suburban lifestyle, like constrained by that whole middle class situation. Yeah. Um, I tell you what it reminded me of. It reminded me of Revolutionary Road. Have you seen that film or read the book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that, where you've got that kind of, you know, idyllic white picket fence suburb America, that kind of, you know, archetypical um, American dream kind of thing. And then she's kind of juxtaposing it with, well, look, there's a world outside of that world. Um, that's that's what it kind of felt like to me, um, and and you know, Revolutionary Road is a much more literal thing because they're always dreaming about living in Paris for a while and stuff, and that's the cause of the breakdown of everything. Um, so that's what that kind of brought to me musically. It's lush, actually. It's really lush. It's kind of it's it sets things off in. It's already a lot more complex than Court and Spark, um, and the basis the bass is really fascinating throughout the album. Um, it kind of feels very different to what, what went before in a way. There's a, yeah, there's this basis that she got in tune with and he's going to be the same way. in um, Hajira, Jacob Pretorius. I don't know if, if anybody's familiar with that guy. Like from what I understand, cause I'm not a musician, so I can't understand this, but they said he had a unique way of playing the bass that was different from a lot of other people. But I guess that's what you picked up on with your ear, right? 
that the yeah. bass was kind of like a little bit more different on this one than Gordon Spark. Yeah, it's it's kind of jazzy, but then it it throws together actually throughout the whole album it throws together so many different kind of influences. I think that's what that's what kind of like that's why I'm just going to need to come back to it, and this is the one that I want to come back to more musically, especially because I think I think Hedgerow is kind of like it's very uniform. Yeah, in fact, I mean, I think that's the most uniform out out of the three, without a doubt. Um, if you're talking, I mean, oh, okay, maybe Court and Spark is, but it's it's a bit more simplistic. So I, I'm kind of like put it this way: I'm probably never going to listen to Court and Spark again in in terms of what once I sort of start cycling through her properly. Whereas I can see myself like the intrigue of Hedra and the musical intrigue of Hissing of uh, Summer Lawns. They're, they're, they're what kind of draw me back as opposed to kind of more pop structures of Court and Spark. Gotcha. So let me take it to this level. Okay, so after you heard Fans on Main Street, your ears weren't prepared to how different Jungle Line was going to be? Yeah, I kind of like, I was like, okay, I, I saw the title, but then I didn't think that there would be kind of African drums and stuff like that coming in. Um, it's it's really different to what I thought Joni Mitchell represented. You know, you kind of get this image because obviously I'm, I'm, a, I'm just clueless about her in, in, in like 99% of respects. So I didn't expect her to be so experimental in this kind of way. Um, I knew about her lyrics, I knew about her vocals, but I didn't realise that, that musically this album would be kind of like, wow, you know? Um, gotcha. Yeah, and, and once Jungle Line comes in, it's like, Damn. Okay, I kind of need to, I need to. My ears perked up, and I was kind of like, "Shit, I, I need to listen to this properly." This is kind of like, you know, we've already had that. Okay, you know, the, the sort of first track. Okay, there are elements to it, but you're kind of like, "Okay, this could just be like a chilled out album." Then Jungle Line comes in, and it's, it's like fucking. Shit it's like, Whoa, what's going on here? I need to pay attention. You know, your ears prick up, then, don't they? Because it starts with that. You're like, holy shit. Because you're expecting like another... Because on Friends of Main Street, in a sense, it's like it's kind of like an evolution of Court and Spark, in a sense, even though it's more complex. Like, okay, you're going to expect that one. But then Jungle Line pops up. It's like, it's like this... You're like, holy shit. Like, what the hell's going on here, in a sense? If you're talking Radiohead, this sounds like... <laughs> this sounds like Radiohead, definitely. You know, it really yeah. does, actually. Um, it, it sounds It sounds kind of like as if a lot of studio trickery has gone into it uh, in, yeah. in a good way, you know, that kind of experimental way. Um, you know the funny thing about this, yeah, you know the funny thing about this album is critics panned this album when it first came out because they were so, I think they were so used to her doing the other shit and then this one came out and they were like, what the fuck is she doing? Because people were just like, what the, it's, like, it's almost like when you throw, when you throw a curveball to somebody, is that what, because I don't know if, it, I, I don't, see, because I don't know how Radiohead worked for you guys back there because I know I heard people said that there was a group that preferred like the Ben sound over the Kid A sound and some people just got turned off by the experimental stuff, like with the kid and amnesiac stuff. Was that what happened over there, or not? It, it depends who you ask, basically. <laughs> you know, okay. I think, I think OK Computer, pretty much everyone kind of agrees. Okay, yes, this is an absolute classic. Even you know, before it was released, the pre-reviews came in, and then it went to number one that week. And Paranoid Android, I think, went to number one and number two straight. And okay, people were a bit thrown by it, but but everyone within a week realized. Oh my god! Yeah, okay, this is the real deal. And for me, actually, I mean, we'll get to, we're going to do a podcast on Radiohead, so I don't want to go on about it too much. Um, but for me, like, you could just see the the jump up in, in so many levels from um, Pablo Honey to the Benz to OK Computer, and then Kid A was kind of 
I'd argue it wasn't a jump up. It was more a kind of complete sidestep. Um, so, but, but the public reaction to the first three albums, well, um, more the Benz and OK Computer was absolutely fine, really. Um, people had their kind of what they preferred, you know, the more kind of organic guitars of, um, of the Benz. But then I think OK Computer took a while to, to kind of sink in for certain people. But then it also had some hit singles on it. It had three huge singles, Very, which yeah, really helped. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, gotcha. yeah. So could, so could you see back in the 70s that this would throw people a curveball? Yeah, of course. I mean, but, but, then, gotcha. but then on the same token, if you're kind of... I guess the Beatles were different because they compacted everything into like seven years. You know, you've gone, you've gone from like the absolute kind of sugar pop of... 1963 to 1970 where everything's different and the, the journey they went on was miraculous you know whereas if you're kind of looking at Joni Mitchell thinking well she's done like six seven albums already and then suddenly this comes yeah. along so even though they're, they're might, yeah it, it would be a definite curb so could you understand so you being a critic yourself could you understand why critics would pan this because a lot of them panned this album yeah did you see that at that point in time I, I I think you'd have to be a little bit biased against her to pan it. Um, I think you could, okay. you could you could say, look, I don't think this works or whatever, or this is a bit too far left for my taste. But for, you, for, for critics to outright pan it, um, but then again, like you know, like we said before, when you're trying to interpret different eras and stuff, then it's difficult to do that because you don't because we weren't around then. Then we don't get the con- we don't quite get the context no, of what happened at that point. We, we're never going to understand fully the context, you know. Uh, okay. It's difficult gotcha. to understand fully the context of this era, let alone like okay. trying to take about forty-five years. So, gotcha. Okay, so so let me let, let's try to let's, let's see what we can narrow this down. Do you have three songs that you like on here that you can that you can you can say that you like? Um, I'd say Jungle Line because musically it's just fascinating. Um, okay, I actually really liked the hissing of summer lawns. Um, yeah, and I'd probably say Sweet Bird. So you were just impressed. So you, so you were impressed by the musicality, even though you didn't get enough time to kind of go through it. Yeah, I think that was the predominant theme of it because I think Court and Spot was kind of like, you know, there was sort of sort of buzzwords. There was love. There was pop structure. There was melodies and all this kind of that. That's what kind of grabbed me initially. And then the next one we'll get to. This one, the kind of themes that I grabbed after sort of three or four listens, because it's so dense that it was more experimental. It was um, the musicality of it. And um, the baseline, <laughs> the bass. I was like, but, but, but yeah, but you know, there's so, but you know, there's something there. You just gotta give them. More yeah, time. yeah. I think, I think, but like I said before, I think this is the one where I'd probably, I think this is the one where I would actually kind of come back to, and I, I'm the most fascinated by this one because the other one, the other two, I think were a lot more immediate than this one. Okay, a lot more. Actually. So, is, is the next one more immediate than Court and Spark? No. Um, well, okay. actually, I don't know. It kind of depends what kind of. It depends how you come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a mood piece, but also the moods are different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But it also comes. It's kind of depends what kind of outlet you. What kind? How am I trying to say it? What kind of viewpoint you take on Joni Mitchell? Because Court and Spark is very simple in a lot of ways, but very effective. Whereas Hedera, immediately once you press play, it sets a mood and it sticks to it for the majority of the album, and then. Go on. Should we just get into it? Because I'm just like really yeah. Let's jump into it. So we, we'll come back to it. We can come back to it because I know you. I think you're going to have a lot to say on this one. So we can jump right into this one. Yeah. All right. So let's start with Jira. All right. So your your opening thoughts on that one. Okay. So 
my opening thoughts on on is it hijra or hedra? Because I'd just say hedra. I, I thought it was hijra. If it's Arabic, I'd say it sounds yeah. like hedra, but I, I don't speak hedra. Hedra. Okay, we can go with that. I mean, we can go with that. I thought it was hijra, but I could be wrong. Yeah, um, I think I think what grabbed me is especially from track two onwards. Um, it's the tempo is a lot slower generally. Um, the instrumentals are more kind of on top as opposed to that kind of bass-driven one of the previous album. It's um, it's a lot more contemplative and reflective, even if you're not paying attention to, the, you know, the intricacies of the lyrics. It makes you feel a certain way a lot more than the previous album. Um, I think that one is more of a jigsaw that you have to piece together, especially musically, whereas this, I think you can listen to it, it can make you feel a certain way. Um, it like I think the, the first one that really grabbed me, well, Coyote grabbed me, but then Amelia really grabbed me. And, uh, Amelia is the one that was kind of like, okay, damn, I think this might be a very Jessel album kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, and I really enjoyed it actually. Um, like throughout, I th- it, it's the kind of one you could definitely put on and chill. I was a bit confused by the like, well, it's a much longer album than the other two, um, yeah. comparatively. And some of the songs are epic as hell yeah, yeah really though. like they, they shapeshift a lot you know most of the songs are really long um, it's only like one kind of, no there's two four minute songs and that's it the rest are all kind of five six eight minutes <laughs> I mean it's, it's a song the song for Sharon was mental as well that was hilarious um, yeah go on let me ask you a question let me ask you a question before we keep going on do you think do you, do you think that let me ask you a question. Do you think the lyrics are the star of this, this album or, or is the music the star, of this, or the star of this album? Or do you think it's like, a, you know, do you think it's both? I think, I'm going to cheat and say, I think it's the stories that are the star of this album. Um, oh, the stories, gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's not about the kind of lyrical prowess or about the musicality of it. I think it's it's the kind of, okay. It's vivid, just the storytelling, the storytelling. Yeah, the storytelling is the star, but also I would say that the mood created is really good and, and storytelling has a part to play with that because there's only it kind of it just depends what mood you're in sometimes you're in the mood to listen to it really um, intensely and analyse what she's saying and try and figure out the whole story sometimes you'll just take words she says and, and it will create your own feelings and emotions and your own harking, harking back to certain things um, you know especially some, something like um, like Song for Sharon, Black Crow, that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, I know that she's writing very specific things, but that's the great thing about Joni Mitchell is that she, she can write specifics, but then make you feel generalities as well, which is a very difficult trick to pull off. So it's not easy. So you're saying what she's doing here is not easy. No, this, not, this not is clearly not easy. <laughs> this is really not Cause, easy. Because so, so here's the thing we try to say. Basically, like, like if you're at, if, if a person who wasn't as good with the with the pen as Joni did song for Sharon, it can get very boring very fast. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> when you first before we even jump before we jump, I'm gonna go backwards. But I, I don't get your opinion because I, I was wondering because I know sometimes you have a thing with long ass songs. I know you have it, and, I, and this is this is the song I was waiting to see what, what, which way we're gonna go. It's like, is he going to be like, this song's too damn long? Or is, he, or is it going to be like, you just enjoyed the journey that she was like, kind of like telling you. Like she's going to New York and she's telling the story to Sharon. Sharon's a married woman and she's still kind of like doing that, kind of like rolling in and out. And she's showing those things about, okay, I still got it back in my head when I was a kid. You want that marriage kind of thing like that. But then the, like the whole marriage thing with the, the, the veil and this and that. But at the end of the day, she says Sharon is singing for her family, but she's out there kind of doing her shit. So even with all of that, 
like like imagery of like settling down and being married and even though she wants that she still kind of prefers the road at the end of the day in a sense yeah because well I ended up reading about the song for Sharon because I was like this is quite interesting so oh so you read it as you listened to it gotcha. yeah I, I just read I think that's the only one I've, I know I've read about song for Sharon and furry sings the blues um, yeah Amelia I kind of figured it was about Amelia Earhart um so Amelia gotcha yeah um but yeah, the the song for Sharon one was quite yeah. This, this is fascinating because she said basically she wanted to be a farmer's wife when she was young and ended up being a singer, whereas Sharon wanted to be a singer and ended up a farmer's wife or something. So I was kind of like, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, it, your previous thing that you were saying that about my issues with long songs in this format, it doesn't matter because there's only nine songs and each one of them is. It, pretty much all of them are long and it sets a mood so if it's part of a mood then it doesn't really matter about the song length you know okay I see what you're saying I yeah, got you I got you yeah. so, you, so you're saying you, have a, you don't have a problem with a long song if it fits the album yeah. if it's like if, if you put it there just for for, 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 for for the hell of it or you're trying to be impressive it's like when you hear that song it's like she's not trying to show off like oh I can do a long ass song it's like she's telling you a story that actually needs needs all that imagery and those situations to kind of make you understand how she came at the conclusion right there exactly in a sense yeah exactly got gotcha. you She's not. She's not doing lyrical masturbation, pretty much. Like she, she has a purpose for what she's thinking about. Same thing with Amelia. It's kind of like that. That long journey. The the visual Im- the imagery of like the airplanes and this and that. And that Amelia's the false alarm. Everything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, a sad, that's a sad ass like hook at the end of there. Like kind of situation. Like maybe I never really loved. I guess that is the truth. I spent my whole life in clouds at icy altitudes and looking down on everything. I crashed into his arms. Amelia. It was just a false alarm. Yeah, this I mean, this is a traveling album in yes. terms of you know, you, say if you're going across the country on coach or something, it's that kind of album you know that you you'd stick like on. a winter, like a like a cold like you drive on a cold road, you just play it right there. It's like that reflective kind of like cold wintry kind of thing. Yeah, or you know, it's that kind of thing where like you could just imagine. Uh, it's going to sound so corny, but you know, when you're kind of like a kid and you've just broken up with someone, or or, or you know. And you, you've, you've kind of quit college for the summer and you're heading back and something left on a sour note and then you'd stick this album on and stuff like that um, obviously I know it was vinyl back then and people you know whatever but if, if you take that forward to this generation it's, it's that kind of thing that makes you feel it makes you feel there you go I mean I don't need it puts, to it, it puts you in a moment of t- it puts you in a moment of time yeah like that, 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 yeah. that melancholy kind of feel right there like you just want to get out there and get away from it all pretty much yeah, I I don't know. It's difficult to express. Um, because you know, let me ask you a question: do, do you think this album has a wanderlust feel to it, or no? Or you got, or you, or you have another way of thinking about it? It's kind of a road album. That's the word. Okay. It's a road album. I, I mean, Jesus, even the album cover is kind of like, you know, the road inside of her. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's a very specific concept album. It's a very specific about what it is. Every song is about kind of like traveling on some somewhere somehow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 you, would would you say this is more specific than Court and Spark? It's, it's more specific album than Court and Spark. Whereas, where Court and Spark is like general, like generalities for Joni Mitchell, like it's generally about love. Where this one is specifically about the feelings you get when you're traveling and how you come across and the observations that you make as you're traveling around. Yeah, it's a much more interesting album than Court and Spark. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I didn't really find Court and Spark, you know, quote unquote, interesting in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas this grabbed my attention, and you know, like I said, um, 
if you focus on the specifics of what she's saying, you can tune into it, but you can also just tune out and let it wash over you and, you know, you can create your own kind of um, narratives so, for each song kind of thing. So, so you're saying it's not particularly necessary to kind of like listen to the lyrics every time with this album? No, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't think it is completely necessary. Um, and, and that's not doing a disservice to the artist. I think if anything, that's paying a compliment to the artist because you don't all... You, you don't always have to pay you don't always have to buy into what the artist is saying lyrically because you know pure artistry lets the listener feel what they want to feel you know um, and I think this one definitely made me feel more than the other two for sure um, I mean Hissing Lawns that again you know I'll have to come back to but I, my instinct is that that will be a more musical adventure Whereas this, this is more of a literal adventure, more of an actual journey. But also, it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's difficult to express. But um, yeah, like you said, this is kind of like the road less traveled kind of thing. Because um, there's always an argument with her, with what her best album is. The other one we didn't listen to, but it's called Blue. And then there's just in the summer. The argument always is is between her three best albums. Even though people see her as a folk person, um, Blue wasn't so much a. Um, a um, folk album as that was the one when she first started like doing more pop structures so it was like her the argument between the three best albums were would be Blue It's in the Summer Lawns and Hegira for different reasons and it would depend on the person and what they were looking for that they would consider which whichever one would be the best album but, to, but going back to what you said about Summer Lawns and um, and this one it's like there's a very specific feeling if you're like you could understand if somebody was in tune with the feeling of Summer Lawns they would go for that one as compared to somebody you could understand somebody would prefer this one over uh, has the summer lawns. You can see that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, I could understand if someone said, "Oh no, my favorite is Court and Spot," because if that if that's what you prefer, then that's what you prefer. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? um, the blue Blue is actually the only album that I'd ever listened to of Joni Mitchell's, but that was a long time ago, so I, I don't really remember much, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, but you lean, but you easily, but you, but you out of the three we listen to, you easily lean more these two more. But for right now, because you didn't give um, uh, his and Lawrence like the, the attention that you really wanted to give it, like this one is kind of like the, the, the default one right now at this point, until other, until you say otherwise. Yeah, but but it was so bad saying that this one grabbed me immediately. Um, okay, just just in in most respects, um, because I, I kind of I think you, everyone has their own taste, right? And you need to buy oh, yeah, into yeah, it yeah. if you're if you're going into it and, and I just, you know, the, the previous one definitely just takes a bit more unlocking and, um, you know, kind of, kind of like, you know, sorry to keep going on about it, but kind of like a Radiohead album in, in, in that respect. Um, you know, and, um, whereas, whereas, um, Hedgerow is kind of a lot, a lot more accessible in that way, even if it is longer and more complex and, um, like lyrically and conceptually and stuff maybe, but, I don't know. I just I, it was definitely yeah. The mood the mood is what got me initially, especially. Okay, so when you first uh, let's go back for a little bit. So when you first heard Court, when you first heard Cooper Spark, you had to did you adjust your ears for that one, or you kind of like you got it, but it wasn't necessarily your your cup of tea. Is that how it was when you first heard the first song on Court Spark? I was really surprised by that album because I was kind of like, it didn't seem like a very Rashad album to me. <laughs> kind yeah. Of, yeah. Oh, I, I, I yeah, got you. I, was, now, I have more, like, yeah, I have more, what you call it, but yeah, what you're saying. The thing is, I get what you're saying. Cause, the cause, thing is, it's like, the, because I'm not a big Joni Mitchell fan, then I have certain, you know, preconceived notions of her, right? And um, I didn't think that she had an album like that in her locker, 
put it that way. Um, you know, I thought early Joni is basically quite folksy, and then you'd have the odd kind of poppy song like Big Yellow Taxi and stuff like that. And then I'd listened to Blue a long time ago, but I barely remember it. And I didn't think there was going to be anything with the tight kind of pop structures, yet her own kind of twist um, of Court and Spot. And it was nice. I think my wife was with me when I first switched it on. She was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> usually she's like, you know, subjected to my various hip hop sensibilities and stuff like that, or just other random shit. And she's kind of like, oh, what's this? But when that, when Court and Spot came, she's like, oh, that sounds lovely. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, that's quite weird. It, but it, she wouldn't have been the same with Hedra. Uh, not that I, I did play it in front of her, but but I'm sure she wouldn't. Have so 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 these albums kind of broke her preconceived notions about Joni. Yeah, point. it was a good it was a good trio to pick because they're so wildly different, all of them. Because the, yeah, because I could get because I could I could have threw the um, the folk ones, but I'm like I'm pretty sure those are the ones that everybody assumes that's how she is. Like you go, like, okay, this is exactly what I'm expecting out of her kind of situation like you, the, the the guitar thing like the Woodstock song and this and that like that Flower Child situation and then like these ones are kind of like okay this is not the Flower Child stuff I mean even though she still has that that voice but even with the voice even on Summer Lawn she kind of changes that um, that feel in a sense like she kind of go a little more towards a jazzy kind of feel rather than that that folksy kind of thing and this one is I don't think there's really like a folksy feel to this one to be honest with you it's more jazzier if, if if you like that blue hoop that that blue room motel that one yeah where she where she goes my favorite lyrics right now because it's so relatable right now she goes you and me we're like America and Russia we're always keeping score we're always balancing the power and that can get to be a cold cold war we're gonna have to hold ourselves a peace talk in some neutral cafe you lay down you're sneaking around the town honey and I'll lay down the highway I was going to crack it up when I read that earlier. God, how uh, apt is that right now? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I just think there's a lot of material in this album that's, it's kind of, it grabs you straight away, but there's so many layers to it. Um, it's definitely the one that I, I sort of tuned into the most quickly. Gotcha. Yeah. How about you then? All right, so for me... It's gonna. I think it's gonna be pretty obvious. My favorite one on the whole album is "Song for Sharon" Eastland. Like, that's like a Homer, like epic poem. Like I was like Jesus Christ. Um, it's uh, up until recently. Okay, I'll, I'll say what my original three were. The one was "Song for Sharon," um, "Refuge Refuge of the Rose." I love that one, and um, "Blue Hotel Room." But recently, I flipped it to "Song for Sharon," "Blue Hotel Room," and "Amelia," because. Just because of what I dealt with with the with, with this girl recently, and it's kind of like that that you you crash you, you crash into the wrong person, and it's a false alarm kind of situation like that. So that one kind of hit me lately. Um, Coyote, my favorite line of Coyote is um, Coyote's in a coffee shop. He's staring in a hole in his scrambled eggs. He picks up my scent on his fingers while he's watching him Richard's legs. I was like, God damn it! <laughs> like so, so basically she's she, he's fingering her. While he's looking at the waitress, I'm like, Jesus Christ, God damn it, what the hell? Like she throws those things in there. Like people keep forgetting sometimes. Like they think she's like, um, like kind of like conservative. She's not. If you listen to some of her lyrics, she's not as conservative as people would think she is. In a sense. Like the one song on um Court and Spark called um uh Raised on Robbery, where it's in front of the perspective of a prostitute, where she uses like cooking, like she uses like cooking and food metaphors for a like, prostitute. She goes. I'm a pretty good cook. I'm sitting on my groceries. 
Come to my kitchen. I'll show you my best recipe. I try and I try, but I can't save a cent. I'm up after midnight cooking, trying to make my rent. I'm rough, but I'm pleasing. I'm just raised a robbery. I was like, God damn it. What the fuck? What's going on here? I'm like that. So she kind of has like those lines right there. Um, another line, like to me, I feel like this is, as an artist, Black Crow. She's using like the, like the image of a, a Black Crow being like kind of like that, that musician on the road trying to get it. So she goes, in search of love and music, my whole life has been illumination, corruption, and diving, 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 diving. Diving down to pick up, every, pick up on every shiny thing, just like that black cloak flying in the blue sky. I looked at the morning after being up all night. I looked at my haggard face in the bathroom light. I looked out the window, and I saw that ragged soul take flight. I saw the black cloak flying in the blue sky. Or I'm like I'm a black crow flying in the blue sky. It kind of seems like that. Like Kind of like flying ragged, trying to dive down and pick up some kind of like inspiration and dive and go like that. And the thing, you're looking at the bathroom, you know you like you kind of have like that, that tired look on your face, looking ragged. It's kind of comparing you to that ragged soul of a black crow. I love that one, in a sense. I just love the lyrics on this one. The other one with the, uh, a strange boy, where she's like dating a man-child. She goes, but a strange, strange boy, he lives with his family. Yeah. Even a war in the Navy couldn't bring him to his maturity. He kept referring back to school days and clinging to his child, fidgeted and bullied, his crazy, wis- his crazy wisdom holding on to something wild. He asked me to be patient while I failed. Grow up, I cried. And as the smoke was clearing, he said, give me one good reason why. <laughs> Is that the one where he's like a, an air steward, an air steward or something like that or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, the one. Does, I'm yeah, just yeah. crying. Those are so many great lines. It's brilliant. The one I'm referring the blue is the one where it's like, they're, they're kind of like the white people, like the tourists, and they're kind of doing that thing. She kind of does that metaphor where it's like they tore down that street. That was kind of like had a culture to it. And she goes, um, there's a double bill murder at the New Daisy. The old girl silent across the street. She's silent waiting for the record's beat. Silently staring at her stolen name. Diamond boys and satin girls. Bourbon laughter, ghost history falls. To the parking lots and shopping malls as they tear down Old Bill Street. Old Furry sings the blues. He points a bony finger at you and says, I don't like you. Everyone laughs as if it's the old man's standard joke. But it's true. We're only welcome for our drink and our smoke. It's like basically just come in there, take our money, and then get the fuck out. <laughs> but it winds up getting teared down anyway in a sense I just love that stuff man like there's so there's so many lyrics for days one more I think I thought one more um uh song for Sharon Sharon you got a husband and a family and a farm I got the apple of temptation and a diamond snake around my arm but you still have your music and I still got my eyes on the land and the sky you sing for your family and friends you sing for your friends and family I'll walk the green pastures by and by it's crazy it's like there's so many things that you go Sense. And then I got to give one more, this last one. Refuge to the road, where she kind of like uses that micro macro thing with the roads. She goes to the highway service station over the month of June was a photograph of the earth taken coming back from the moon. And you couldn't see a city on that marble bowling ball or a forest or a highway or me here, least of all. You couldn't see these cold water restrooms or this baggy overload westbound and rolling taking refuge in the roads. It's kind of like that, that humbling where it's like when you pull back that camera and you see this earth. And like what you're doing is kind of like a speck of dust in a cosmic sense. But you, it's good to take a look at that small little detail. Appreciate that. You have to appreciate that perspective of the bigger situation. But at the same time, you got to take in that beautiful road that you're going in, in a sense. I just love all that shit. Like, she's very perceptive with that stuff. And it's incredible. Like, sometimes you, like, like it goes back to when when, it's, when these albums going back. I'm explaining to the viewers why it's so impressive. It's like, 
you hear lyrics now, like there's some great lyricists out there, don't get me wrong. But it's like, it's very rare to get that specific level of detail and not have it be corny and not have it be overly poetic. Like you, you know, it's like certain lyricists, like you, you see them trying too hard to be overly poetic. Yes. Jo- like Joanna Newsom. Yeah. Like she was just way to uh, way OTT. Like she, she kind of hit a groove for a little <laughs> while, but otherwise it was just like real kind of like you'd say that lyrical masturbation kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like when you go to, it's kind of like when you go to like college here and it's called university, I guess you call, you guys call it university. And it's kind of like, you see like those, when artists first start out and I think, and they try to be like, what Stephen King said, he's like, you see a lot of angry breasts in, um, in, um, in, 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 uh, in college. He's like, how can breasts be angry? Like, we know what you're saying, but can you, you could be a little bit more, you could be a little bit more like, Richard Richard words like angry breasts like we get she's a woman she has breasts but angry breasts like so the first image that comes to my head is like breasts being frustrated there's a better way to say it and like she kind of said that in an interview too like she was in her, in her in, like she has like this thing where it's like this, her friend interviews her for for a book and she's basically saying that she's like why be overly poetic when you be a little bit more specific like you can kind of use the words to explain something poetically but you don't have to be like abstract for the sake of being abstract I'm trying to say. So going back to like, so I'm breaking down the lyrics. Going back to on that, on that, on that marble bowling ball. Like you get the imagery of the earth, but it's not like it's not giving the earth like some kind of like characteristics, like like a human characteristics. It's kind of giving you like the ideal. Okay, when you're looking, when you when, when you visualize that in your mind, you you see the marble bowling ball. You kind of see that that curvature and that smoothness. Like she's using that metaphor to kind of give you like that that texture of the earth. As far as like how smooth the roundness is, rather than kind of saying like the the earth was angry and something like that, like that's easy to kind of go for. Like this one is more like a a nuanced kind of like look. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Like it's a little bit more nuanced than just saying like something like, well, the earth was angry and this jagged frustration and the earth cracked. It's like okay, we get that, but this is a little bit more smoother, more elegant than just kind of trying too hard. At least, or at least that's what I get from her lyrics most of the time. They're dense and complex. But they're accessible if you if you want to pay attention to them. Yeah, I absolutely think so. Like I said, she's a top level top level lyricist, and there are so many layers to to what she's doing. The only thing that I would perhaps push back on is that I think sometimes um, the melodies, her vocal melodies, can go all over the place, like absolutely all over the place, and and. It, and it's a bit jarring. That's a jazz thing. Yeah, it is. But it's a bit jarring. It's kind of like at times you're like, okay, sometimes I need a bit of help. But then once you kind of get, <laughs> you have to sort of tune into it, basically. Gotcha. Because like an, a, more, a more kind of like, you know, a more traditional aspect, the lyrics are absolutely no problem with that. You know, the lyrics can be as complex as you want or as layered as you want. But the melodies. But the vocal melodies. That's what I was kind of like. If, you, if you're talking about sometimes things need to be stripped back a bit and the, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to start giving Joni Mitchell advice or anything like that yeah I'm just saying what my personal preference is is that sometimes vocal melodies don't need to go OTT sometimes you need to dial it back a little bit just so it can let other things breathe um but obviously if that's a style that's a style um there I think in particular on Court and Spark there's certain things that I didn't quite take to in terms of that vocal melody um, I think it works better on this because the in, because there's more time on Hedra is more more time within the songs. It's breathing. It's breathing. Yeah. Uh, whereas whereas on Court Sparky like the, the four minute song, so it's not enough time to kind of like give them that that room to breathe in a sense. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it works quite as well, um, or not okay. for me anyway. 
like th- this yeah. is more my kind of style of head rock. Um, All right. So, so do you feel like the melodies are our issue on his and summer longs too, or is that kind of like it works better on that one than the corners part? Or is it you still can't? The jury's still out on that. I think so. the jury's still out on that because it's difficult to tell because there's so much going on musically that it's kind of like okay. you, you kind of you, your senses are bombarded a bit, um, and it's kind of it's kind of trying to figure it out i know it's annoying but the listener might be thinking well i should have fucking listened to it more but you know it's just it's just one of these things you know um i didn't i didn't get to listen to it enough i thought that listening to it three or four times would be enough to get a good handle on it but i was just completely wrong basically so i just didn't didn't quite realize um whereas the other two like you know in three or four listens i pretty much clocked what i needed to you know um, even if even if on Hedra, obviously I know there are other more complex, but I just tuned into it really quickly. Um, I can't I can't really explain it. So um, yeah, but in terms of like, if, if you're talking about, okay, let me ask you this question. Okay, sure. What's your favorite out of the three albums? <sighs> it's gonna be cheap. It's gonna be tough because it's between his and the summer lawns or Hedra. If you were to tell me which one which one hits me more emotionally, I would say that Hit Jerry is my favorite album. If you want to talk about creatively, then I would say Hits in the Summer Longs easily. I, I'll say that one. If you talk about if you're talking about what's the flu, which one would influence me more creatively, I would say Hits in the Summer Longs. If you're talking about the one that hits me more personally, I would say it's um, it's a Jerry. That's where I would go with it. But if you put a gun to my head, I would I would be forced to say Hits in the Summer Longs because. Cause like I'm a I'm a diehard Bjork fan, and this is and between this one and this other one called Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Those are two Bjork's favorite albums. I get why Bjork would be a Jody Mitchell fan with his and Summer Lawns. I get, that's what I would say. So it would force me to I, I would say if you put a gun in my head and you're talking about the pure creative side of me, which is like 50 percent of me, then I would say I would go for his and Summer Lawns because I'm just so impressed by the level of creativity that she dove into that one. But if you were to say like which one is more emotionally, then I would say Hajira. Does it does it also slightly depend what kind of mood you're in? <sighs> like right now, because what I'm what I'm dealing with, and it's the winter. I would say Jira. I would say okay. I'll put it this way: if you if you use if you use the 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 um the uh the the, the calendar of the year, right? I would say seventy five percent of the time it would be it's in the summer lawns. Twenty five percent of the time it would be a Jira, but Jira will always be right behind it. The seventy five percent of the times so I put it that way. There's others about there's other songs later on that I like more, but if you're talking about full albums, then I would say it's those two. But I would say it's in the summer longs are probably listened to more than I would listen to a year. I put it that way. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just so I'm sorry, I'm just so impressed by like like just the adventure the, the adventurousness of It's in the Summer Long. Not to say a is not adventurous too, because God knows it is. But yeah, like just the sounds and where it goes and where the time signatures change and the flows. Like the last song, uh, Saddles and Light, where she just does that with the with the with the with the synths. And she, it's just her voice and the synths. I'm like, Jesus Christ, who does that? Yeah. I think doing this has, has like broken a lot of my um like I said, my preconceived notions about who Joni Mitchell is stroke was and uh I guess, like you know, we have narratives that we're kind of fed, or we believe, and stuff like that. And if you if you're going on little sound bites here or there, or the occasional song, or you know, randomness to an album, 
it's difficult to get a sense of someone like Joni Mitchell because she has so many, she's got like practically 20 albums to her name, uh, which is a lot. I mean, that's a hell of a lot. You know, you're talking about a full day of listening and it's, it's very dense as well. It's not like, okay, these are easily identifiable. You know, she's a really dense lyricist and um, the melodies are all over the place. And then, you know, so she's a veteran. Yeah. And, and like, if this, this is the point where like, you know, having someone like Rashad to come in and actually direct me a bit helps a lot, you know, because it's like, okay, try these three albums, see the progression there, see how you feel. And now I'll be like, okay, fine. Now I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, this is really different to what I thought, um, what I thought it would be. I, I guess maybe like Hedger isn't that different to what I, I think that's more the kind of Joni Mitchell I thought you'd be into, um, or, or that I thought existed as the sort of more latter day, Joni Mitchell, but um, yeah, it, it's fascinating to think that she she kind of like did all that over a sort of three ish year period. So I, I wanted to throw I wanted to throw Diamond's Reckless Daughter at you, but I don't know if, I don't know if you was now that I hear now that I, now that I hear that you had to take more time to some of the lawns. I know you'd have probably like went ape shit, like not 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 ape shit in a good way, but like ape shit, like what the fuck is this with Diamond's Reckless Daughter? Because if you thought his and some of the lawns took chances, like she dove off. Like I, I know you thought. <laughs> I just want to say this. I almost wanted to give you down on Reckless Daughter because I wanted you to listen to Paprika Plains, and I know how you. I, oh my God! If I, <laughs> if I gave you that, you know, you know how long the songs are on. Um. Okay, so so Don Juan. So let me give you a, head, a, a, a little thing for you out of here. Don Juan Reckless Daughter was the one that people were like, "I'm fucking done with her," and the reason why is this because it was a double album, right? So. So she had so it's like so it's like two albums, right? So she had four songs on the first album. She had first song like there's two sides of each album. So she had four songs on the first album. I'm I'm gonna get to the second half of that first album later. Then she had like three songs on like the the front of the uh, second di- the second album, and then like maybe like three songs or four songs on the, the. However, on the second side of that first album, she has a song called Paprika Flames, and that song goes on for can you guess? Uh, I'm going to say about nine minutes. Uh, okay, here we go. You ready? Go Drum roll, please. 16 minutes. What? <laughs> I think, I think the, I think the connection was breaking up because I think you said 16, <laughs> 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 16 minutes. It's literally, I tell you what it is. It's literally like, like, like a like 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 a classical musical piece, basically, pretty much in movements. Sixteen minutes. Wow. I was like, I think it's an excellent song, but I would, I almost almost wanted it, it would almost I, I felt like I would have been trolling you if I gave you that one to listen to in that period of time. You'd have probably been like, I I was almost half waiting for you to send me a tweet like, what the <laughs> fuck is Paprika Plains? <laughs> But I was like, let me go easy on you. But now that I hear, like, you need to get several lawns more time, then I was like, okay. I was like, I made the right choice. Because I, I really wanted to throw that at you. I was like, I, wonder, I, I almost wanted to give you that one just for your reaction to Paprika Plains. And not say anything and just sit back. And then you listen to this song. Well, listen, I tell you what, though. Um, we, we did a podcast um, on Prince's album, Come. And actually, the first song on that, which is the title track, is over 11 minutes long. And that's just the first song. And... Uh, Actually, I loved it. That was brilliant. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that was a really fascinating one. That podcast is a great listen, by the way, if, if you've never checked it out. Um, yeah, so Prince does it in 11 minutes. And he's a big Joni fan, isn't he? So, yeah. yeah. But I will say, that's a beautiful, beautiful song. If you give it the time, you just lay down and just give it the time. It's a beautiful song. But let's get this to back here. So we're going to take it to final words on this one. So so what was your overall understanding with these three albums? And your generalized, your your general um, opinion on her now? I think it was a good selection of albums to pick um, because it kind of goes from pop to experimentation to almost like a, a unified theme and a mood. And and this is not within like a, a long space of time. This is like 74, 75, 76 kind of thing. Um, so it, it's really fascinating to see the, the progression of someone who has almost 20 albums anyway. And it makes you think, wow, like, okay, there, there are sort of, it's really easy to divvy up and say, okay, that first decade, that second decade. But then you, you're talking about like micro movements within those things where so many things can happen and they go through, an artist can really go through evolutionary leaps, um, leaps and bounds, frankly. It's not just leaps in this case. Um, and from Court and Spot to, to uh, Hissing Lawns, um, sorry, Summer Lawns is, is, is just nuts. But then to, to Hedgerow, <laughs> which is much more my kind of initial style, uh, I was like, wow, you know, I think this is kind of like, this is what I got envisaged her, the sort of like the more mature Joni to be. Um, gotcha. I don't know about your paprika planes yet, but we'll have to get to that. <laughs> I tell you what, we'll do, we'll do a we'll do a Joni Mitchell part two someday. You can give me like yeah, uh, yeah, the next. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know what film I'm gonna throw at you, but yo, I can't wait for you to hear fucking paprika planes. It's gonna be crazy. If you thought, because my thing is, if you thought his and summer launch was like was like jumping all over the place. Oh my god, Don Juan's reckless daughter. Because when I read the reviews for that one, yo, people were pissed off. Like, what's going on here? Like, she took the like she went and she dove off into like that that world feeling basically. They was like, what the hell? So anyway, it's hilarious. But um, but yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed this stuff pretty much. Like my goal pretty much is like I'm a I try to pop processalize. I can't even say that word half the time. But um. But I remember when I like when, when the guy Adam Barkman first made me hear this. Like I said, I had a preconceived notion that she was like that. But I'm not easily I'm not easily impressed by a lot of artists. Like I, I like a lot of stuff and I enjoy it and stuff like that. But like I said, I I always I, I, I would make an argument to and I think this is this is great that this era is like the Spotify era. You can just like you can just like make a thing. I would make the argument if people give these three albums a shot, I would recommend that you would just put all her albums. And like one big giant playlist and just hit shuffle and just lay in your bed and just let it go. Because my argument is I think I think her for, for me personally, this is just my argument. I think that her first her first there's two eras. There's like her sixties to her seventies era, and then there's eighties to her like her two thousands era. And I think there's merit in both of them. I think that most people will probably think her first era is an A plus. And I would argue that her second era is like a B plus. But I think because I think the, the good thing about this that people listen to her now is, is that everybody had their, sometimes it's good to have distance from an artist as you come to them late, because there's a lot of people that just only swear by her, her folk stuff. There's only people who swear by her, like Court and Spark to like Mingus era. And then there's some people who listen to her 80 stuff and swear by that. And then people listen to her 90 stuff. I think she's one of them artists where if, um, you just hit her, if, if you just like take her stuff and hit shuffle, I guarantee I, I won't guarantee. I think it's most likely 
that you'll appreciate a lot more stuff as compared to when you were listening to that at that point in time because that can kind of restrict like your appreciation of their progress over time. If that makes any sense, even though I know that's my like my favorite tagline. If that makes any sense, <laughs> I need to stop saying that shit. Jesus no, Christ. I think that makes a lot of sense because actually, yeah. obviously, I don't know her, her the other like seventeen elms or whatever it is. But if I take these, then she she kind of hits a certain standard throughout, and, and and there's a familiarity to everything she does, even if it's wildly different in context or execution. Whereas I think some artists, if you did that whole jump, you know, put everything they do into one playlist and then hit uh, shuffle, it would be very jarring, you know, it would be very jarring. Whereas I think this would be a much more consistent thing, even if you're kind of getting different things, um, which is it's a mark of quality, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I would say that. Yeah. I would say this, you know, what? I'll, I'll say one more thing. She actually has a... Um, uh, uh, thing is she she be on Spotify. It's called Love Has Many Faces, a quartet, a ballet, waiting to be loved, and that thing is basically like she rearranges her um all of her hits from from when she started till like the two thousands, and she organizes them into four different CDs, and e- each CD has a theme, and she kind of has like the like the songs from all the eras kind of juxtaposed amongst each other, kind of like having a conversation with each other. So she kind of like has it where it's like if you had like a, a regular retrospective where she's like goes through her folk to her pop to her eighties to her nineties, then like you're going to have that that thing. But if you listen to that that quartet of ballet, it kind of gives you a, like a better overview. It's not every song that she has, like I was told you like the playlist, but I think that would be a good one for like any listener who wants to get an idea of like her overall thing. I think that would be a good way to start. I recommend that over if you don't have the time to like do the whole playlist thing. I would say just find uh. The Spotify playlist that has that love has many faces, and then just hit play and then let it go from there. I think you get a better idea of it from there. Okay, that's cool. Um, and that was only released a couple of years ago as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that, I think would be um, would be really interesting because um, I think if anyone needs help in that respect, it's an artist like Joni Mitchell. Um, you, you know, sometimes you need someone to come in and curate a bit and to kind of strip it down a bit because there's such a huge body of work that it, it can be a bit daunting. You know. Um, like there's no way on earth I'm going to sit there. I'm just not I'm not going to sit there and listen to every single album she's ever done now oh is it possible yes yeah. it's possible yeah. um, sometimes I'm a bit jealous of, of people from that era that they could sort of, you know even the Beatles and Dylan and Joni Mitchell and stuff and the Stones as well where they could listen to the progression year on year and, and they kind of lived, lived alongside it you'd obviously have to be exactly the right age but you know, for us, we are looking at these things retrospectively. But then again, like you said, sometimes that has its own merits. So, yeah, the distance. Yeah, because yeah. like, I, like it goes back to what we said about Madonna. Because, and and I know some people who aren't who aren't as feminist as I am are going to say this, but I do think that there's a, there's a gross injustice to some to a lot of these female artists that are trendsetters and groundbreakers. Because there's no way I feel like, especially if you listen to her whole entire body work, that there shouldn't be a bigger appreciation of what she's been what she's been doing as compared to a lot of other people get lionized and this and their bodies of work where it's kinda of like I just don't know. I do think I do believe that there's an unfair there's an un it's, it's unfair like Aretha Franklin them like these people who consistently do like this great work but they get marginalized by whatever their era was when they were hot when they're still putting out consistent bodies of work in sense. So I don't know. But that's why I that's why I'm glad that we do podcasts like this so if it's something that Jessel really believes in, he could throw it out there. Or for somebody I really believe in, I want to throw it out there. So I try because I, I, I try to balance it with um, 
with the other stuff. Like I, I enjoy fun stuff sometimes, but I do really think that the artists that really have care about their craft and were disciplined enough to kind of like go beyond the extra mile, they're the ones that need this stuff to be talked about as compared to like the people that are hit of the day, which is nothing wrong with that at all like that. But I'm more impressed by those who like their body of work is consistent and they're dedicated themselves and they push themselves further and they push many artists further because there can't because the artists the artists that that are ones that influence so many other artists those are ones that should be appreciated before they leave so that's all i wanted to say yeah i think that's a great point i think both of us are you know pretty staunch feminists and but i think we, we we kind of like covering female artists on this podcast as well um the ones that maybe don't get as much limelight um I, I, i've got a list of ones who, who we should cover uh, so, so yeah yeah, yeah, of course, yeah I, can't, I can't wait to be honest um so yeah but yeah i mean i think i think this is a great shout doing this one and i think you're right i think we should definitely do a Joni mitchell part two um and you yeah. can select the <laughs> oh yeah the no, right, you the know right you, two Papri- you, you get ready get just just prepare yourself for paprika please. oh yeah i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> i'll clear my day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, any, so, so we did. I think we probably did the final words already. Yeah. So we can just go yeah. Out I right. think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, yeah. My name is Jessel. And I'm Richard. And I'm gonna say peace. <laughs>